today we're starting a new series. We just finished the book of Revelation, and that's all posted on our website. You can, you can catch up with that. But we're starting a new series today that I'm calling The Pursuit of Happiness. Sorry, not happiness, but holiness. The Pursuit of Holiness. If we're being honest today, even as you know, professed Christian people and believing people, or maybe, you, maybe you're here and you say, well, I don't know if I even believe any of this. Regardless, I think the broader culture and even to a degree the church culture, if we're being honest, we would rather title this the pursuit of happiness, right? I mean, who in here doesn't want to be happy? Any of you, you don't want to be happy? I mean, we all want to be happy. We all want to experience happiness. And you can go to the, the bookstore, you can go online, and you will see reams and reams of material trying to help you to be happy. You'll see tons of it, boatloads of it, self-help material trying to help you to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with happiness. There's nothing wrong with pursuing happiness. But it's just that happiness... How many of you know it's a, it can be a very temporary thing? So, so tell me what, what makes people happy these days. Give me some feedback. What makes people happy? What are people looking for that will make them happy in life? Money. Yeah, money. If I just had more, I'd be happier, right? Problem is, when we get more, we're still unhappy. And we still want more because we tend to spend what we have if we're using money to get happiness. What else are we looking for? If only I had this, I would be happy. Pardon me? Health. Yeah, if I had my health, I would be happy. The problem with health is health is temporary, as we, as we learn in the book of Revelation, right? So health lasts you as long as you're healthy. But eventually, you're going to leave this world. And most of the time when you leave this world, it's because you become unhealthy and eventually your body gives, gives up the ghost, so to speak. And, you know, so, so even health can be a temporary thing. But, you know, we're looking for health to make us happy. We're looking for money. It'll make us happy. What else? Nice car? Yeah. Hey, if I had a Tesla, maybe I would be happy. Problem with the Tesla, what happens to it, especially in Quebec, it starts to rust, starts to need repair. And then I become unhappy because I need more money to repair my rusty Tesla, right, which needs a new battery, you know, in 10 years. What else makes us happy? What else are we looking for? Something you receive for free, okay. Relationships, yeah, fame. Rela I mean, relationships and or, if I may be frank in today's culture, relationships and or sex and not necessarily in that order. And we think if we have those things, oh, we'll just be happier if we have that. You know, single people, oh, if I were married, then I would be happy. If I had a relationship, then I would be happy. And then they have the relationship, then they have the marriage, and they realize, hey, this thing takes work. I'm not so happy. She's not what I expected. He's not what I, accept, I expected. Why am I so unhappy when I thought that I would be happy? Here's the, here's the thing, fame. Here's the thing about happiness. It is temporary. 
because the things that make us happy are by nature temporary. The Bible does not frown upon happiness. It does not say thou shalt not be happy. You know, if you're a Christian, you have to have a sorrowful face all the time. You have to look really morose. You have to never wear makeup. You know, you have to just look awful. That real Christians, really good Christians are miserable. You know, the more miserable they are, the better the Christian they are. Okay, the, the Bible does not teach this, all right? The, the Bible has nothing negative about happiness, but it would teach that happiness is a temporary thing. Uh, the Bible would, would have you look more for joy because joy is not necessarily based on temporary things. Joy is more of an attitude where happiness is more of an emotion. Uh, joy is more of a choice, whereas happiness is more dependent on circumstances, temporary things. But see, if we want to be happy, and this is why I title it this way. If we want to be happy, you know what the Bible really teaches? That what we should be pursuing is actually holiness first. If we really want to be happy, just back up, you're going too fast. We should be pursuing holiness first. You say holiness? I mean, when you think of the word holiness, you think of maybe Mother Teresa Say, Mother Teresa, if there's anybody who epitomizes holiness, it would have to be Mother Teresa. Or maybe it would be, uh, you know, if you come from a Catholic background, some, some pope. Or maybe you think it may be, you know, Gandhi. Or hopefully Jesus is in your list, you know, as an example of, of holiness. He should be the example of holiness as far as the Bible is concerned. But we have all these pictures of holiness, and sometimes... We think of it as, well, it's the missionaries who sacrifice everything. They're the ones who are closest to God. It's the, it's the monks who separate themselves from, you know, the broader culture and isolate themselves on a mountain somewhere. Those people must be really holy. But can you really be holy and enjoy life? Can you really be holy and live in the 21st century? Does it have a practical impact, holiness? I mean, holiness is all over the Bible. It's everywhere from cover to cover. There are descriptions about holiness, starting with the holiness of God. And the best definition that I could find for holiness, you can put it on the screen now, Joel, um, is to be morally blameless. This is what the Bible teaches, to be separated from sin from the moral, uh, uh, the moral sickness that we have, that we break the law of God to be separated from that, to be consecrated, an old term which meant to be, to be uh, uh, kind of joined to God, to be dedicated to God. This is a great definition of holiness. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, but just as he who called you, this is, this is speaking of God, he who called you is holy, so be holy, be morally blameless, be separated from sin, be consecrated to God in all you do. So in your work, in your school, in your marriage, in your home, in your family, in your relationships, in everything you do, 
be holy in all you do. Is that possible? For it is written, be holy, for I am holy, way back in the book of Leviticus. So does holiness have any practical benefit for us today? I wonder if we even think about it often during the day, uh, even those of us who are believers. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example of where it gets really, really practical. How many of you, you struggle with impatience? You, you, you have a short, you're not very patient. Okay, I'll raise both my hands and my feet all right, I am very impatient. You can ask my wife, she will tell you. You can ask my daughter, she will tell you how impatient I am. I have to constantly, constantly discipline myself to be more patient. How many of you, you have a short fuse? In other words, you sometimes get angry. I'll raise both hands, my feet, my toes, you know, my little hair that I have. I, I have a short fuse as well. Um, how many of you, you, you know what the word hangry means? You ever heard that word? That means when you get hungry, you get angry. How many hangry people are there? You would admit that you get hangry. Okay, so, so let me tell you an experience that I had on just on Friday. So I went to the province of Ontario to do a visit, brought my daughter with me, and we had the whole thing planned out. I mean, I used my, my cell phone. I used Waze on my GPS. I live in the South Shore, so to find a way to get to Ontario with avoiding the you know, nightmare apocalypse of Montreal and the traffic and the Armageddon, you know, we just finished Revelation in Montreal, Armageddon taking place on the roadways. So anyways, I got it all planned, had it all worked out. You know, we're, we're cruising right through. We're avoiding the traffic. We did the visit in Ontario, went perfectly excellent. We're on the way back home, and I had it all planned. Those of you who do trips off into Ontario, you may know this. As soon as you cross the border... You get back into Quebec. Not only are you visited by strange change in the roadways, right? It's very smooth in Ontario. Then when you get into Quebec, it starts going like, like this, right? So not only does that happen, but as soon as you cross that border, and you're on the 401 there, there is one last uh, en route. It's called an en route. It's a you know, place where you can get gas, and usually the gas is very inexpensive over there. So if you're impatient like me and you have a short fuse like me, you are also probably cheap. And you're always looking for deals and you're looking for bargains like me. It must be my Jewish roots. So I'm, I'm got it all planned. I'm going to get gas right at this place. And every, it's every, my day is going perfectly. So and I said, I'm going to go, they got a Tim Hortons there. I'm going to get myself a nice big Earl Grey tea, a, a, a pecan muffin. The day is going beautifully. It's because I prayed, Lord. I prayed this morning and the day is going beautifully. Little did I know what was about to happen. So I go to, to the gas pump to fill up my gas. And I'm an electronic guy, so I use my chip card, you know, to pay for gas. And I had seen this on the, on the internet. I don't know if, I didn't know if it was real or not, but I had seen that there are these thieves that install these things. They're called skimmers. 
and they go on top of the card reader at the gas pump. Have you heard of this? And what happens is you put your chip card in there, and you know you're having a great day like me. You got it all figured out, and you punch your PIN number in to get your gas, and you get your gas. But lo, lo and behold, you do not know that a scammer, a thief, has stolen your card information and your PIN number with a device that they've implanted on top of the card reader at the gas pump. So I saw on the internet that the way you check for this is that you go up to the card reader and you pull it a little bit. And you, you, know, you see if there's anything weird in the card reader. So I went up to this card reader and I'm pulling, it, it seemed a bit weird to me. There was almost like a shell around it and it looked a little too new, you know? And I'm like, what is this? Why is this doing this? And I pulled it and pulled it and nothing really happened. I said, ah, it's okay. I'm going to do the, do the thing. I got the gas. So I got the gas and I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to give this puppy one big yank and see what happens. So I went up to the thing one more time, and I gave it a good pull, and the, the skimmer came off in my hand. It was a real skimmer. And I looked at it, I said, oh, my goodness, my card information, my PIN number has just been stolen. Impatient, <laughs> short fuse, my day has now begun to change. And so I went into the, I went into the, 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 the place where you normally pay, and I said to the, the person at the cash, I said, this thing here just stole my card number and my PIN number. And the guy, the guy was in a panic. And he said in French, in French, c'est pas legit, c'est pas legit. And he called his manager and he raised the, raised the roof, you know, and they've got to do an investigation and see what's going on. They got a scammer who planted this thing and who, who knows how many cards would have been stolen. And so I said, you know what? I'm teaching on holiness on Sunday. My daughter is in the car. I am not going to lose it because of this. I'm going to keep it together. I'm going to solve this problem. So we got out of the, out of the en route. We get on the road in the precious Quebec roads with all the bumps. And I said, well, I have to change my banking information immediately. Because it could be true that this scammer could have picked up my card information via Bluetooth technology or who knows what is going on. It looked like a very elaborate device there. And so I said, well, we'll pull over on the side of the road and I'm going to change my banking information, go into the Internet. So I had my phone, log into the Internet. Hey, that worked and change my banking information. But then I realized I not only have to do that, I have to change my PIN number. Now, I've been scammed before. I had that happen to me in January. Somebody mysteriously broke into my bank account and made an electronic transfer. It was a big nightmare. It took days to fix. So I said, well, I'm not going to lose it. I'm teaching on holiness on Sunday. My daughter's in the car. I am not going to lose it. So I said, I said to my daughter, you turn your data on, use your technology, and find me the nearest bank of my branch. We're on the highway. She says, she says, Daddy, I found one. It's in Salaberry de Valleyfield. 
I said, that's perfect. We're headed through Salivated Valley Field because we're avoiding traffic because dad is so smart. He found a way to avoid the traffic in the Armageddon in Montreal in the apocalypse. This is perfect. We've solved the problem. No more problem. I have beaten the, this scammer. They're not going to make me impatient. They're not going to make me lose my temper. My daughter's in the car. I have to teach on holiness on Sunday. I'm not going to lose it. Tell me where this thing is. So she gets the, the speaker going on her phone. Go left, go right. We're going into Salaberry, the Valley Field. And you know what? There was all this traffic. I mean, it's a tiny little city. It's small. I'm going, why is there all this traffic in this dinky little town? Just get me to the bank so I can change a pin number on my... Don't lose it. Don't lose it. You have to teach on holiness on Sunday. Your daughter's in the car. And so we get to the bank, finally, and I said, there's the bank. It's perfect. And I go change my pin number. As soon as I get out of the car, a guy in the oncoming traffic, he says to me, as I'm walking toward the bank, he says, there's no power in the bank. The bank's closed. <laughs> That's why there was so much traffic. All the traffic lights weren't working. No power in the whole downtown core of Salaberry, <laughs> the Valley Field. Can't change my pin number. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. You got this. You're teaching on holiness on Sunday. Hold it together. You'll be able to tell the people on Sunday that you held it together. I can feel my blood pressure is rising like this. You know, I can feel it. So, no, no, no. Hold it together, right? So we get back in the car. No problem. We're going to get out of traffic. We're going to go home. We're going to change the PIN number. No problem. So, and it worked. We got home. I changed the PIN number, went into my bank online, see if there's any weird activity so far. Nothing. Why do I tell you this story? Do you know how many times I have blown it in circumstances like that? And you have too. Do you know how many times that I've been impatient, angry, hangry, and whatever else? And I say, what? but God, there has to be a way for me to live a holy life in the 21st century. There has to be a way for me to be victorious over sinful attitudes, sinful thoughts, thin, sinful behaviors, sinful words. There has to be a way for me to be holy because you commanded me to be holy. How does this work? Why is this so much trouble? Why is this so difficult? Why is the pursuit of holiness such a difficult thing? Why am I not changing the way that I want to change? Why did I just say that? Why did I just think that? Why did I just do that? And those of you who you're in, in families and relationships and work relationships and all these things, that's where you begin to see your character and your flaws and your weaknesses and your sins. And even if you're, even if you're single, you still see them as you inspect your own self. And the Bible is telling us, be holy for I am holy. You be morally blameless. You be separated from sin. You be consecrated to God. How? That's what we'll unpack over the coming weeks together. Uh, but let me give you three reasons why it's so difficult, just, just in a summary today. And we'll, we'll unpack these over the weeks ahead in, in different ways. Let me give you three problems with holiness today and why it's so difficult. Number one, because we are self-centered rather than God-centered. So question, is it victory we're after or is it obedience we are after? 
So it, it, a lot of a lot of the, the 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 teaching and the writing today and the preaching today is about victory, and and God knows you know He wants you to have victory over sin, uh, and and God wants us to have that. He wants us to be victorious and live a quote unquote victorious life. But you know what victory is about? Victory is about me. Victory is about my. I have won the battle. I have become victorious over whatever foe or enemy or sin. Do you know the way the Bible teaches it? If you want victory over sin, you need to obey God first. So it becomes a God thing rather than a me thing. And so many times if we're battling uh, various kinds of sin. You know, some of you in the room, you have you, you have sin in, in your life, and it goes like a circle. It's like a record. Any of you know what a record is? Vinyl. It's popular today again. You know, vinyl. You had this vinyl, and you put a needle on it, and it spun, and actually made music ah, before before electronics, right? So it's kind of like a broken record, and it's like. When, you, when, the, when the needle was stuck on a groove in that record, it would just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. And some of you, you're like that. And you know, you know exactly what the issue is, and you just, you can't seem to break it. And sometimes it's because we're focused on ourselves. It's, well, God, I have to be victorious over this problem. I have to be victorious over this issue. But we don't really think about what God feels when we break his law. We don't, we don't come to an understanding of, well, you know, I've just violated God's moral and God's standard and, and, and God's values and God's kingdom principles, but we're thinking about how we've blown it once again. I remember, I remember a preacher saying, he said, I don't commit adultery. I don't cheat on my wife because I fear God, because I'm afraid of God. He was right very good answer. It wasn't, well, I'm faithful to my wife because I want to be victorious over sin. It was, no, no, no. I'm faithful to my wife because I'm afraid of God. <laughs> because I know that if I break God's law in this way, he will punish me. I will face consequence. I will face pain. And it will be a justified pain if I commit that kind of transgression against God. And this is the way that he reckoned it. I don't think I ever heard a preacher reckon it the way that he did. But that's kind of, if you really want a perspective on sin, especially those of you who are struggling with the same thing over and over again, think of sin from God's perspective rather than your own first. So Psalm 51, David, the adulterer. David, the murderer. He says this, against you and you only have I sinned. He's writing, he's, he's reflecting about his own moral failure, tremendous moral failure. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. There are people who really dislike this passage. And they say, well, didn't David sin against Uriah? I mean, he had Uriah murdered, he stole his wife, he got his wife pregnant. 
Like, didn't he sin against those people? Why does he say, against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? Because he realizes, first and foremost, I have blown it against the creator of the universe. I have violated his law, his principles. Uriah didn't write those. Bathsheba didn't write those. God wrote them. It's God's heart and God's standard that I've ultimately broken here. And he is right in his judgment and he is right in his verdict. He would have echoed the words of the preacher that I heard. I don't commit adultery because I fear God. And when we take our eyes off of ourselves a little bit and we focus on how our transgression grieves God and how it hurts God when we break his law, then maybe we'll, we'll think twice before we do it. And I'm of the view, uh, being, a, being a good old-fashioned, you know, sinful kind of person, I'm of the view that we know what we're doing when we do it. I'm of the view that when we run the red light, we know very well that we're running it. We, we evaluate the consequences of running it. Some of you, you ran a red light this morning. So did I. I looked to the left. I look to the right. There's no red and blue lights on Sunday morning. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like, no one's going to catch me. So I need to get to church and praise the Lord. So run the red light until you get to the speed camera. Because the speed camera, you know, you don't want to mess around with them cameras, right? So you slow down just for the duration that the camera follows your car. And then you can put a little giddy up on the gas, right? So we, we know, we know, we evaluate, we, we, you know, we weigh the pros and cons, and then we run the proverbial red light. Is it victory we're interested in, or is it obedience, you see? And God, first and foremost, he calls us to obey him. When we obey him, perhaps we'll find a little bit more victory. Problem number two, we misunderstand the concept of living by faith, living by faith. So I'll term, term it this way. Is it faith or is it effort or faith or work? Which of the two is it? So Galatians chapter two, verse 20, this is what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is it faith or is it work? In other words, some people think, well, I've become a Christian. So why do I still sin? <laughs> why, why do I still struggle with the same thing? How come it doesn't automatically change like my telephone? I press a button on it and I get what I want. But how come there seems to be this difficulty and why didn't it work for me? I believe, and so something is supposed to happen, isn't it? Uh, I mean, if we work, isn't that bad? Aren't we saved by faith and not by work? And, you know, if we think we're saved by work, we're holding this thing together by work, isn't that wrong? Isn't that, isn't that mean that we're negating the cross somehow? How does that all work? Well, it's very, very simple. I mean, think of faith as like the battery in, in, the, in the machine. The battery in your phone, the battery in your in your car, the battery in whatever's battery powered. 
Well, all of that machinery is running off that battery. All those electronics need that battery. And that's kind of the way that it works when it comes to holiness. Faith, the faith that you have empowers you to move the machine. You've got to work. You've got to do something to begin to live and think and breathe and talk a holy life. God doesn't press a little magic button and all of a sudden, you, you know, you're sort of like a robot and Ooh, I'm a Christian. Okay, I'm living a holy life now. <laughs> you know, God is in control. I live by faith and not by sight. Er, 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 er. No, he doesn't make robots. So you have to make a decision. That's why the Bible says, be holy for I am holy. It's not, I will automatically do everything for you. I will automatically, you don't have to do anything. No, you've got to work to be holy. But faith is like the battery that empowers you. If you think that you can be holy on your own, you know what you are? You're very religious, but you're very lost because you cannot save yourself. If you do not have faith in Christ who died and rose from the grave, you are not saved. And you can try to be a good guy and a good girl. You can try and try and try and try. That's what religion does. Jump up and down, do all the right things, do all the right moves, and maybe your God will accept you. In Christianity, God has come and paid the price for us. We believe in him, and so we are enabled by faith to begin to live differently. I remember when I first became a Christian, I had, so, I was so, uh, my mentally, and I, I was so bombarded. I come from a, come, came from a, a background where mentally, at least, it was so, there was so many ungodly things that were floating around in my thoughts, in my head. So much, I mean, my worldview, everything, it was just completely, completely ungodly. It was so bad. That at the beginning, when I first got saved, when I first became a Christian, I first became a follower of Christ, I had to write by hand. When I would pray, I would write it by hand and read it because I could not do it any other way. My brain, my mind was so convoluted with all kinds of things. I literally had to sit there and read this thing that I wrote by hand to try and find a way to clear clear the air and learn to live a holy life because I knew that much that I had to begin to change because now I believe. And I remember the pastor at the church that I was at and, and uh, you know, I, I got saved under his ministry and I said, well, you give me, give me, what do I do now? And he said, well, here's a little book for you. And, you know, you go into this class and we get this new Christians class. I said, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'm in the class. Give me the book. So he gave me this book. It's 26, 28 lessons. You're supposed to do it in eight weeks. So he gave me the book. I did it in like four days. And I went back. I said, here, the book is done. And he said, he said, well, you did it already? I said, well, yeah, I, don't know, I need to do the thing, right? And he said, well, it's supposed to take you eight weeks. I said, well, give me something else. I have all these questions. I have all these problems. And I found that the church wasn't fast enough for me. It didn't have enough information. It didn't have, I had a voracious appetite to learn, to learn, to learn. I went to buy, he said, well, go buy this book here. Here's a book. Read this, read this, read this. One of the books that I read is the book that's the foundation of this series that we're doing. It's called The Pursuit of Holiness. And I read and read and read. The, the church didn't have enough for me. Uh, I had to find it on my own. Because I realized this is not an automatic deal. You have to do something. 
in this whole arrangement, but sometimes we think that we don't have to do anything, and we still find ourselves on that broken record and going back to the same old thing, the same old sin. Number three, third problem, and with this one we'll close, we categorize sin. So we take some sin seriously and some sin not so seriously, right? I mean, let's be honest. So now the, now the thought in the church is, you know, the whole LGBTQ thing, you know, we just find this is, oh, this is so gross. And this, you know, this homosexual thing and all this same-sex marriage and the transgender and this and this. We just find this so gross in the church, right? And, and we're, we just don't want to, this is awful, you know, God forbid somebody who's in that lifestyle would walk into some of our churches and I wonder how we would behave, right? And we say, that's terrible. That's an awful sin. You know, years and years ago, it used to be when a person was divorced, that was like, oh, it used to be this terrible sin. You know, I think we've grown a little bit in that way and we have a little bit more grace, a little understanding. But the sexual sin, we've always, always, always just we, we find it just awful, right? But some of us who who decry, you know, various kinds of of, uh, of deviant lifestyles sexually and all this, we gossip. I mean, I've met people who are as loud as they can be in condemning, you know, their homosexual coworker, and they're loaded with gossip. Their tongues are like vipers. Uh, they're they live in disunity. They live with ungodly attitudes. Uh, they, they live with a rebellious heart. These things are all to God. Just saying to God, there's no big and little. It's all the same mess. So the gossiper, the slanderer, the rebel, the person with the attitude, the person with the mouth, the person who... The glutton, I mean, God, he, he got a whole big bucket of ugly sin. And he doesn't, he doesn't really say, well, this one's worse than the other. To him, it's all bad. It's all sin. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this in James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Oh, wow, so you lose, right? So you look at the law. He's referring to the law of the Old Testament. You know, you got hundreds and hundreds of little minutiae laws, all kinds of stuff. You got civil, dietary, all kinds of laws, you know. And he's saying, listen, you think that you can follow all that? You think that, you're, that your work is good enough? You think you're so hot? He's saying to the people, he's saying, you break one of those little things, and it's like you broke the whole thing. Say, what? That's not fair. I told a little white lie, and God's going to condemn me like he would an adulterer? That's not fair. Oh, yes, it is, because the same God wrote the whole thing, right? So you're sinning against him. It's not just what he wrote. It's not just his law. It's his heart. So you, you break one to God. He says, you broke them all. So if you lied, it's the same thing as if you, if you stole. If you hated it's the same thing as if you committed murder. To God, it's all, you, you broke them all. So that's why there's not one person on planet Earth that can claim that they, that they can do this, you know, without Christ. That's the whole point of what James is teaching. But what he's saying is, 
It's all the same ugly thing. And we can't categorize it and say, well, this here, you know, you may be hangry and you may have a short fuse and you may be impatient, but that's not bad. Everybody has that problem. You know, you're not a thief. You're not a murderer. You're not an adulterer. Don't worry about it. Well, let me tell you, God does. God looks at it and he says, hey, that's sin. And it's easy for me to say, hey, I had a good moment there on Friday. Well, that's because I was going to use it in a message on Sunday. <laughs> so I had, I had no choice but to, you know, to, to take it up a notch, right? But maybe on another day, I wouldn't have been so, so keen. I would have maybe not worked as hard, or I would have maybe not thought about it, or I would have maybe not been even thinking about some of these, these, these parts of this message. But I don't know where it's at for you. But I would venture to say that every single person in this room, you have an issue or multiple ones where you say, how does this really work? And how can I learn to actually change and be transformed and live this holy life that God has called me to live? He's called me to do it. I take it seriously, so how will I get there? And we're going to deal with that over the next few weeks. If the band would come, uh, the first song that you did, which was it? Yeah, you please bring that, okay? We, 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 need, the, we need the cross uh, first and foremost, and it's through him and through what he did on the cross that we live.